Welcome back to Kaidan Japanese Scary Stories. This is Ryoko. And this is Kat. So last episode, we went pretty hard with three <laughs> ghost stories. So this episode, we will kind of do a variety of genres. So maybe one ghost story, a couple yokai, and one true crime scary people one that I really、Ooh. like. <laughs> Scary people are. <laughs> That one is truly, yeah, the scary people stories are. <laughs> it feels because there's no supernatural element, that's the most scary. It could happen, like, more likely to happen.、Yeah. So I hope you enjoy these stories.、Uh, here's the first one So, this next story is from a storyteller named Yamayu. I heard him tell this story on Thriller Night's YouTube channel. And Thriller Night is a kaidan bar, which is a scary story bar. Ooh, <laughs> yeah, I、like、desperately want to go here. They originated, I think the first one is in Hokkaido, and they also have one in Tokyo. So, this one, he was telling this at the Tokyo bar.、Mm. So, for $30 roughly, you can just go in and it's like all you can drink. And you、yeah. just stay there for, I think, I don't know if it's 30 bucks. You can drink the 30 buck amount of <laughs> <just like> alcohol. <laughs> you drink and you listen to scary stories for like an hour. So I highly recommend if you're a Japanese speaker and you just, love scary stories, go to Thriller Night for just me. Just <laughs> me drinking and waiting for you to translate. <laughs> yeah, each story I'm just translating to you. <laughs> But I, I do really want to go. They have some great, great storytellers there, and it seems really fun. So, this was a story he told. The bar itself had a hundred story night.、Mm. So, 50 scary stories from the Hokkaido branch, and then 50 from the Tokyo branch. So, so Japan has like a history of doing、yes. the hundred stories. The hundred stories is a huge thing. It's also a really like intense thing because it will take like forever to tell a hundred stories. Yeah. But they say after you tell a hundred scary stories, like each story like gets the ghost closer to you. So <laughs> it's calling out for ghosts. By the end of the hundredth story, like something could happen, like supernatural will happen、okay. when you tell a hundred ghost stories. I know.、Um... Was it my roommate in college? She wanted to do it and then, like, was it light out a candle? Each time. Each That's time. the traditional way, yeah. And then the last candle will、oh. go out by itself because <laughs> of ghosts. Yeah, so that might be something fun to do at some point, too. But we just need to get enough people and a hundred ghost stories. Yeah, is... That's too many ghost stories. <laughs> um, he's a professional scary storyteller. I think he's in some sort of duo. Like, he works with another guy, and they're both scary storytellers. So, he has a longtime friend named Mitsuru who loves scaring people. He doesn't necessarily, he's not a scary storyteller or a collector, but he just loves scaring people around him. Oh, so he's you. <laughs> <laughs> Including his、uh, very young son. And he'll usually get some stories, scary stories from books or online or wherever. And he would tell these stories to friends, his wife, his kid. And he just loves seeing them scream or get scared. And he said every time he tells these stories, he has a smile on his face, which makes him think maybe his friend deep down is like a little twisted. Wait, you. <laughs> This sounds like you. You smile when you tell me these scary stories. <laughs> There is something that I very much connect with this guy, but hopefully not too much, as you will see. 
And for his friend Mitsuru, he says he telling these stories makes him very happy. So he kind of he does it in a way to entertain others. Like that's mm-hmm. where it comes from. Like he's having fun, so he wants other people to have fun. Mm-hmm. It just makes me think of when we're in college and you would like hide under our desks and <laughs> wait and then scare us. Were we all having fun then? <laughs> I think so. I think we were all having fun. Anyway. <laughs> One day after doing some grocery shopping, him and his son are walking back home to the apartment they just moved in. And as they're walking back, he suddenly thinks up of a scary story, uh, completely his original. So to scare his son, he starts telling him this story that he just came up with. And he goes, did you know the elevator at our new apartment? Ghosts get on to ride the elevator. And the steps you need to take to call these ghosts onto the elevator are, first you get onto the elevator, press the button to the top floor. Then before the elevator reaches the top floor, turn to the back wall of the elevator, which is a mirror, knock three times, then ask how many are here today. And so you have to do this before the elevator reaches the top floor. Then when the elevator reaches the top floor, the doors will open. And without you pressing any buttons, the elevator will start moving down to a certain floor. And let's say the floor it goes down to is the fifth floor. The doors will open there and no one will be there. But whatever number the floor is that you're on, the same number of ghosts will get onto the elevator. And when that happens, no matter how scared you get, you can't get off the elevator. If you get off at this floor, the ghosts will follow you home. So you have to stay strong, press the button to the first floor, Then once the elevator gets to the first floor, before you get off the elevator, you have to turn to the ghosts, even if you can't see them, and say, please, go ahead first. Then after the ghosts get off, you can get off, and the ghosts won't follow you home. So this is how you can figure out how many ghosts there are in the apartment. And he tells this to his son, and his son, who at the time is seven years old, gets so scared. And he says, no, no, daddy, please. Please don't do this when we get onto the elevator. When we get back, please don't do it. But of course he was going to do it. And he says, what? Like, are you scared? Don't worry. It's not scary at all. Come on, let's do it. So when they get back to the apartment and get into the elevator, he presses the button to the top floor and his son screams, daddy, no, please, please, please don't do this. And at this point, his son is so scared. He's crying and curled up on the elevator floor. But for him, he's still entertained by all this. So he goes ahead and he turns around and he knocks on the mirror and says, hello, how many are here today? Like, and he's like just joking around still. And then he turns to his son and says, hey, the ghosts are going to get on soon. And at this point, his son is just beyond scared. He stopped crying. He's frozen in a ball on the floor. What a dick. Horrible father. (laughs) And this is when he finally realizes maybe he went too far. So when the elevator door opens at the top floor, he finally tells his son, like, hey, sorry, sorry, like, daddy made this story up. None of this is real. Like, I made it all up. I'm so sorry. You don't have to get scared. It's all made up. And he tries to kind of soothe or coax his son, but his son will not raise his head at all. And then the door suddenly closes to the elevator and it starts moving before he could press any buttons. And he's thinking, oh, (laughs) and the elevator then goes down and stops at the eighth floor and the door opens. There is no one there, but it just happened to be that they they live on the eighth floor. That's the floor they lived on. So he's like, oh, we're here. Let's get off. And he goes to pick up his son 
And that's when his son, who is curled up in a tight ball, says in a low voice, are you sure? And he's shocked by what he hears, so he flinches back a little. And then the elevator door closes again. And again, without him pushing any buttons, the button for the first floor is lit up, and the elevator is starting to move down again. His son is still frozen in place, and he's starting to panic a little since everything he just said in his made-up story is coming true. And he's thinking, what is happening? So the door to the elevator, it's kind of made out of a very well-polished metal. And it was so well-polished that he can see in the metal door, like a reflection, like silhouette of his son curled up himself. And then he can also see the reflection of the mirror behind him. And in that reflection, he can see the gray silhouettes of a group of people standing right behind him. Shocked, he turns around and looks at the mirror, but there's no one there. And he can't see anything in the mirror. But when he turns back to the front, he can still see the silhouette of some people standing. He can't tell exactly how many people there are, since the silhouettes are kind of blurry. But it could maybe be, like, to him, it looked like five or six people. But he knew that it was probably eight people. Mm. So the elevator goes all the way down to the first floor. And then the door opens. He's so scared at this point. As soon as the door opens, he grabs his son and runs out the door and dashes up the stairs to his apartment. When he gets home, his wife says, what's wrong? What happened? And he says, you may not believe this, but... And he just goes on and tells everything that just happened. And as she listens to everything, she starts to have kind of like a questioning look on her face. And she says to him, what are you talking about? I know that story too. That's the story the landlord told us when we moved into this apartment. Don't you remember him telling us this? Why are you acting like you came up with this story when you've already heard it before? And then he thinks, oh, she's right. I have heard this story before from the landlord. Why did I think I came up with this story? He then gets overcome with a feeling like he had somehow been tricked by something. Mm -hmm. And he's just thinking, like, why did he think he came up with this story? And why did he do all that with his child? And this realization just scares him so, so much. But at this point, his son is all better now. And he's just, his son is acting normal, like he usually does. So that night, he spent the whole night just shaking next to his kind of exasperated wife. Yeah. <laughs> and in the morning, he realizes another thing. Like, oh, if that story is real, when the elevator got to the first floor, I forgot to say, please go ahead first. Oh. And he said after that, nothing really happened after that day. But... Every now and then, he catches his son staring at him with a strange expression on his face that he doesn't recognize, like mature beyond his ears. Oh no. And every time he catches his son like that, he feels conflicted inside. Like, is he really safe right now? <laughs> and that's pretty a much... went home with them. I don't know if it was one or eight ghosts, but oh, something went home with them. It makes me think of... It's dumb, but it makes me think of the Disneyland... Haunted Mansion ride. Oh, yeah, like yeah, at the end, like, in the reflection. They're, like, waving you off, and there's somebody in your car. <laughs> that one's heartwarming, but this one is... <laughs> I mean, for sure, he's father of the year, right? <laughs> <laughs> what a dick. Like Horrible, horrible father. This much, you're just like, 
mm, let's continue. I'm still getting my jollies off. Like, yeah. So I I really like this story because I mean I guess I connected to the fact that this guy liked tale and telling scary stories <laughs> and he kind of got punished for it. Hopefully I don't scare people to that extent. I mean he was horrible. Yeah. At the point where if your son is curled up in a ball like crying, I think you should have already realized that you've gone too far. Yeah. Yeah. So. But yeah, this storyteller, Yamayu, has so many good stories. Like, most of them are with his friends, but there's a couple that are involving him personally that are just so haunting. Mm. I will definitely be telling more of his stories. But I really like this elevator one because it's kind of like, oh, it's like you thought you made this story of? Well, <laughs> you've been incepted. <laughs> you've been incepted? Or, like, I was even thinking, like, Maybe something supernatural had happened. They wanted him to do this, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. They wanted to go home with somebody, so they kind of erased, temporarily erased his memory or something. Yeah. Also, okay, landlord, who wants to be like, <laughs> oh yeah, you like ghost stories? We got ghosts in this building. This is how you can, like, figure oh, it out. Oh, you're a family? Like, actually, like, if you do this, then... <laughs> yeah, like, don't they not want to say that there's ghosts in there? I guess you're thing? already locked in if you already signed the least yeah maybe he like mentioned that he liked ghost stories so the guy's like oh well we have a local one it's mm -hmm. right here with our elevator yeah and you have to do all this you won't do this like that yeah, kind of thing that's my warning <laughs> and now he's screwed <laughs> <laughs> maybe the landlord's in on it <laughs> could be could be so this story is from you and kanata and this story is also from Thriller Nights. This isn't a ghost story, but it's a yokai-related story. Mm. And I'll probably explain that as I tell the story, or his story. And this story is about something that happened to him in elementary school, when he was in elementary school. And he was probably in about sixth grade or something. And his school used to do this thing where the older kids would do like a joint field trip with the younger kids. So, for example, if you were in sixth grade, you would go on a trip with third graders. Or if you were in fifth grade, you would go with second graders, and they'd mix up the age range. And originally, he's from the Kitakyushu region, and in Fukuoka, there's a mountain there called the Takato Mountain. And when you go all the way up the mountain, there's an observation deck at the very top, and around that area, there's a stone statue there called the Kapajizo. Jizos are these stone statue things you see them all over japan they're a buddhist symbol and originally they kind of are there to protect children women travelers mm -hmm. originally and like especially children who have died Aww. already so it's kind of a sad thing they look so cute so they come up in kind of like folklore and all these different stories but for children who have died before their parents they say that they go to the afterlife and to actually like fully like move on, you have to cross the Sanzu River. Mm -hmm. But these children, since they have their sin, I guess it's horrible. The sin of dying young? They can't cross the river because they don't have enough karma yet. So they have oh. to stack rocks at the bank of the river, uh, thinking about how much pain they cause their parents. It's not their fault they died young. <laughs> but they have to do this it's not their fault 
they have to do this and they have to think about their parents and then they hopefully one day will have enough karma to like cross the river and while they're doing this they constantly get sabotaged by like oni and stuff like demons come and they'll like (laughs) hit the stack down and stuff (laughs) so they were saying jesus will come and save those kids and like help them cross the river so sometimes um Usually in front of a Jizo, you'll see like flowers or like snacks or like toys or something kids like. Mm -hmm. But sometimes you see rocks stacked up and that's the meaning. It's like people wanting to help the kids stacking the rocks. Like, oh, this will be to help you out. So that's sad. But But now I think Jizos, there's multiple different kind of Jizos. There's also Jizos, it seems like, that protect the village. Mm. So people can just go and be like, oh, thank you for protecting our village. I know they say you shouldn't like ask a Jizo for any favors or like you know wishes and stuff. Yeah. It's just purely there to thank. They're already they're already working. they're already working overtime, so you just go and you thank them or you put your hands together and think about the kids who have passed on or something. So it's that's the little Jizo history, and the little Kappa history <laughs> is Kappas are a type of kind of like a mythical demon creature called yokai and there's a lot of them in japan but specifically the kappa here they have webbed feet and hands and they kind of have like a turtle shell on their back and a little plate on their head that like retains water and if it loses water like off its plate or the plate gets damaged they get super weak (laughs) and also they love cucumbers and sumo which is a super random the sumo thing i've never heard of cucumbers too i i guess i don't know why the reason why they love cucumbers but they do so and also they were super mischievous and they were known to assault people who are underwater or like around water even and they steal this mythical organ like soul type thing called the shirikodama and they just steal that from people's butts so they're not their prostate? Are you stealing their prostate? <laughs> Horrible. <laughs> you think that. You know, I don't really know how that organ came to be. I need to look up what, like, why this is part of the storyline. up your butt. <laughs> and why they are stealing it. Like, I'm not so sure what they use that for. <laughs> they just like it, or... <laughs> but anyway, that's uh, that's what a kappa is in the Jizo. So there was a kappa Jizo at the top of the mountain there's a little altar and the jizo is inside so anyway the reason why that whole setup is there because a long time ago they said that a kappa was doing mischief in that area of the mountain and then that kappa eventually got caught and was sealed into that jizo statue and how the kappa was sealed was if you look at the back of the stone statue there's a huge nail hammered into the back of the statue (laughs) And the nail is, it's not fully hammered in, it's sticking out just a little. So, and for this field trip, they're, they're all kids, they're just running around the whole area. Like, everywhere around the observation deck area, all the kids are running around and playing. Then suddenly, like, a challenger appears among the kids and says, hey, let's pull the nail out behind the statue. And so the altar is not like a big altar, but there is kind of a little like leeway room between like where you kids, at least like if you're small, you can yeah, squeeze a little gap, squeeze around the statue. So him, the boy who says that and all the other kids like squeeze around and 
they start to challenge each other and they take turns trying to pull this nail out. No. (laughs) (sighs) Kids. So... Since only a little part of the nail is sticking out, it's really difficult to get a good grip, but everyone's trying super hard to pull this nail out. And there are teachers kind of walking around checking to see the kids are like in line, but they're not checking that deeply because they're keeping watch and secretly doing this behind their backs. (laughs) And they're tugging and tugging, but the nail does not even budge. And after a few kids try, uh, it's his now it's his friend's turn. So the guy telling a story, his friend's turn to pull and his friend is just kind of like, oh, watch me. I'll, I'll definitely be the one to pull it out. Mm-hmm. And he goes and his friend starts tugging on the nail and everyone is just surrounded around him, like watching this. And this nail has not budged at all for anyone. But when his friend goes to pull it, it moves a little bit. Oh, no. And since they're all watching, they see the nail move, too. But when they actually see that the nail moves, everyone goes silent and the air gets super tense. Like, oh shoot, like it moved. And that's when from behind them, they hear a teacher yell like, hey, what are you guys doing there? So then all the children scatter and they run away. And afterwards, they're just talking amongst themselves being like, man, it moved. Is that okay? It's And they weren't really able to check again because now there's a teacher like watching over right in front of the Kapajizo now. So then at a certain point, they're just like, oh, whatever, like, I'm, it's probably fine. And they all, and they just head home afterwards. Mm-hmm. The field trip's done. About a week after that field trip, that friend of his who managed to pull the nail out just a little bit, he doesn't show up to school for a whole week. So one week later, he shows up to school and he goes up to him and he's like, oh, man, are you okay? I heard you had a cold and like a super bad fever. And his friend replies, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, but I had a weird dream. So from the top of the Takato Mountain, you can see the beautiful view of the Dokai Bay right below the mountain. So in his dream, he's standing at the edge of this bay. He's just standing there, not really doing anything, when suddenly something jumps out of the water. And he sees that the thing that jumped out of the water was a kappa. And this kappa drags him into the water and he drowns. And when he woke up from this dream, he had a horrible, horrible fever, like just buckets of sweat, super, super horrible. And then that repeats for a week. And then then eventually... So it's like the same dream. Same dream fever, same dream fever lasts a whole week, and then he just gets better. Mm-hmm. And he just tells him, like, I wonder what that was all about. So that's that's the story. That's the whole story he heard from his friend. And afterwards, after when he heard that story, he was already thinking like, hmm, a kappa in an ocean? Because usually, typically, kappas are found in rivers. Mm. It's I've never heard. Until this story, I've never heard of a kappa in an ocean. Mm. So he was already questioning it. But eventually, when he got older, he did his research. And it turns out that that area of Kitakyushu... In an area called Moji, there were ocean kappas. They actually might be the only ocean kappas in all of Japan. And the story behind that was they say during the Battle of Genji, the Genji family and the Heike family, the wife and the women of the Heike family threw themselves into the ocean and became kappa. And the warriors who also drowned became Heike crabs, which are actual real crabs. 
they're the crabs that have the super scary samurai face on their <laughs> shells. Like, if you look at it, it really looks like, like a scary samurai face. Oh, I need to look that up. <laughs> yeah. So, the wife with the highest rank ended up becoming the female leader of the Ocean Kappa. So, her name is Umi Gozen. And then that, so they're thinking, or he's thinking at least, that sealed kappa that was up on the mountain could be one of Umigozen's like underling mm-hmm. kappas that was doing mischief and got caught. Mm-hmm. And they also say for the Umigozen, she doesn't attack humans unless the human is from the Genji family. Oh. So it's very interesting. I did not know this. That's that's the whole story right there. Mm-hmm. But I really like this because i i mean i didn't know there were ocean kappas and also in general like i love yokai stuff yeah kappa is my favorite yokai so (laughs) (laughs) so i i really like this story and also uh my mom's side of the family they're from kitakyushu like Mm. fukuoka area way 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 in the countryside Mm. but and I've been to this Dokai Bay area, so mm-hmm. it's really interesting to know that there's like a history of kappas there. And if you go to the, they actually have a grave for Umi Gozen because she was actually like a real person. Mm-hmm. So if you go to her grave, they actually have a uh, kappa statue next to her grave <laughs> <laughs> to show the folklore, I guess, <laughs> of what had happened to her. Oh, very interesting. And I also looked up, I was curious about the Kappa Jizo, and there was a photo of, you see the, the nail behind oh, on its man. back, so. I wonder if it's like his friend was like related to the Genji family <laughs> Maybe, maybe. Like Everyone else tried, kids. but. Yeah, they tried, but it didn't work, but his, just a little nudge. That would make sense. And then he was, <laughs> he suffered for it. Yeah. But he only moved it a little bit, so he's still okay. Yeah, well, that's why it was It wasn't fully unsealed. Fever. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that is one of many like modern day yokai encounter stories. I kind of want to do a full episode on yokai stuff, mm. especially because I just really like like the folklore behind it and yeah. the history. And a lot of it, it's like creation myths. Yeah, yeah. Are involved with yokai stuff. So yes, I definitely want to do a full episode. I'll also be adding some photos to our Instagram, the Kairan Scary Stories Instagram of the Kappa Jizo and the Kappa altar. And some Kappa photos. <laughs> Maybe some old Kappa drawings. <laughs> there are some really funky ones out there. Yokai in general are some funky creatures. <laughs> I mean, I love them, but they're funky. So this story is from a Buddhist monk named Miki Dayun. He's known in Japan as the scary story monk, Kaidan Osho. He has a temple in Kyoto called Renkyuji, where along with his typical monk duties, people come to him with their supernatural troubles. And the fact that he's a respected monk gives his accounts and stories an added sense of reality. And his stories are scary, but also... They have, like, an emotional touch. Yes. Yeah, they include, like, a lesson or it just, you sense, like, a sense of kindness to them. So I really, really enjoy his stories. And his, also, his stories really make me question if they're the other world, like, ghosts are real. (laughs) We are 
kind of like under the belief that it's like they could be real, they could be not. We just enjoy these kinds of stories, but he definitely really makes you think it's like, hmm, there might be a ghost everywhere. There might be something going on. <laughs> so this story that we're presenting today is not one of his supernatural ones. He has kind of a mix, but this is for sure like one of my favorites. This is a scary person story. <laughs> yes, yeah. And it's a longer story, but it is well worth it at the end. So yeah. we hope you enjoy this. So this is a story from when he was still a monk in training. He did his monk training at a certain temple in the Kanto region, and he trained there for four years. The kind of training they did there was first him and all the monks in training all lived together in a dorm, kind of a one room, and they had to every day memorize mantras, how to write correct, um, write correctly with a brush, and like how to chant the ritual chanting, and they would have to wake up 4.30 in the morning every day, dump cold water over themselves <laughs> as a purification act. <laughs> clean the temple, take care of their superiors day and night. And he said if he was being truthful, the training was very tough for him. He must have felt really homesick, huh? Very homesick. Also, he said when you're being trained this hard every day, you start to suffer mentally. Even though it's it's just training, but it's... Yeah. I think everyone just goes through like a dark... It like wears you down. Emotionally. Wears you down. And I think that's the point of it, but it, he was definitely worn down by this point. So he was starting to feel very depressed. And around that time was when he noticed a kind of pet store called the African Kennel near where his dorm was located. And at the kennel, they had these big, beautiful African Malamutes, like the huge husky like <laughs> dogs. And he loved dogs. So he would go into the shop to pet them during his free time. And this quickly became his go-to spot for when he needed like a breather. Uh, during his training so then he would also like since he went so often he started to get pretty friendly with the people working there then one day he went into the shop again for a breather and when he went in the owner of the kennel was at the shop that day and he himself was originally from the Kansai area he's from Kyoto so and he was doing his training in the Kanto region which is more close to Tokyo so right away he picked up on the owner's dialect with the way he was talking. And then the owner also came up to him and said in a Kansai dialect, so you like dogs? And for him, hearing him speak in the Kansai dialect made him miss home so much. So he asked the owner, oh, are you from the Kansai region? And the owner replied, yeah, I am. Are you also from that area? And then from there, they just started talking to each other and they really started to hit it off. Then he told him, I'm so happy to be able to hear the Kansai dialect being spoken. I'm a monk in training from nearby and I've been coming here as a breather between my trainings. And the owner replies, ah, I see. Yeah, feel free to come by anytime you want. I bet your training is really tough on you, really rough. And as he's saying this, he starts to take out four to five canned coffees and starts lining them up on the table in front of him. And he says, go ahead, take and drink whichever one you like. So he is like, oh, thank you very much. And he looks at the lined up canned coffees, and they all look exactly the same. Same brand, just the same coffee can. So then he thinks maybe they're different temperatures, like some of them are maybe cold or hot. So then he starts touching each one, but he 
doesn't seem to, like, he can't tell any difference from the temperature. They're all room temperature. So he just chooses a random one and drinks the coffee and tells the owner thank you and gets up to leave. Then as he's leaving, the owner says to him, if you don't mind, why don't you come over to my place every week for about 15 minutes to talk to me? Like maybe once a week, you could even help us walk the dogs and I'll pay you in US dollars, $1,500 a month for it. <laughs> it's it's a lot like a <laughs> that's a lot of money so he's super shocked by this offer and says really you'll pay me a thousand five hundred dollars to come in once a week to talk to you and walk the dogs for 15 minutes and the re- owner replies sure sure and he tells him i'm sorry i need to go get permission from the teacher in charge of the dorms before i can agree to anything But if they give me the okay, I would love to take you up on your offer. So he goes back to the dorms and he asks the dorm leader for permission. And his dorm leader just responds by saying, I'm so disappointed in you. (laughs) You don't need breathers during your training. This is all part of it. (laughs) And not only that, but you're trying to make money during your training when you're supposed to be training to throw away your wants. Like yeah, greed. All of your material <laughs> desires. What are you thinking? So he gets in a lot of trouble. And he ends up having to write a letter of forgiveness. Which he has to read out loud in front of all the other monks in training. And in the letter he has to say, he was asked to work part-time at the kennel. Forgive me for being tempted by wealth. <laughs> <laughs> so he has to do this. It's like humiliating. So then the next day, he goes back to the kennel to apologize to the owner for having to turn down his offer. And he tells him, I'm so sorry, I was not able to get permission from my teacher, so I'll have to turn down your offer. And the owner replies, oh, I see. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I bet the training to be a monk is really tough. And as he says this, he starts to pull out more canned coffees again <laughs> and lines them up in front of him. And the owner says, it's, it's fine. It's fine. We'll find somebody else to do it. Here, take whichever one you like. So he replies, thank you. And he tries touching them all again. But once again, they're all just the same coffee, room temperature coffee. So he picks another random one again and just drinks it. The owner then says, "Uh, I see, I see. So you believe in Buddha, huh? And he replies, yes, I do. That's why I'm training hard right now. The owner responds, that's right. That's right. Well, see you around and feel free to come by anytime you want. If you want another breather, good luck with your training. And with that, they part ways. And after that visit, he feels guilty about going to the kennel during his training. So he completely stops going. And soon time passes and the end of his training is approaching. And at this point in a month, he would be leaving to go back home to Kyoto. So he decides to stop by the kennel one last time to say thank you and goodbye to the dogs and workers. He's petting the dogs and telling them thank you for soothing me (laughs) when my training got tough. When the owner comes into the shop again and the owner sees him and says, oh, it's been a while. Is your training over? And he he replies, "Uh, yes, actually, I'm going back to Kyoto next month. Then the owner says, oh, really? That's great. Why don't you drink a last coffee here (laughs) just for old time's sakes? And he starts lining up the coffee cans again like he always does. So he says thank you and chooses a random one and he drinks the coffee and he just leaves. And eventually in a month, he just returns to Kyoto. 
a little while after he returns to Kyoto, he turns on the TV one day and he sees the owner of the kennel on the news and he thinks, oh, did something happen to him? And he continues to watch and he then finds out that the owner of the kennel was actually the Saitama dog breeder murderer. Oh, God. (laughs) And he has just been arrested. Oh, man. So at this point, a senior kind of a senpai monk of his uh, at the time was doing a job where when somebody who commits a heinous crime, when they get arrested, uh, they often call like a monk to the jail to just like chant a prayer or something, help the criminal atone for his sins. Mm. So his his uh, superior was doing this job. So through this job, this senior monk ended up being in charge of going in for the kennel owner. And this senior monk is the one who later told him that the murderer told him there were a set of criterias for who and how they chose to kill. And number one was not for insurance money. And then he started listing all of his criterias. And for one of the last one, he says, I also kill people with bad luck. So the senior monk asks him, what do you mean by that? Like, what bad luck? And he replies, you're also a monk, so I'll let you know. But a while back, a monk in training used to come by our African kennel. And I lined up cans of poisoned coffee for him. And only one of them was without poison. And he chose and drank the unpoisoned coffee three times. So I don't know, maybe there is a Buddha out there. And he says this and laughs. And later... This monk, Miki Dayun, he found out that this man, this kennel owner, was not even from the Kansai region. He was just very, very skilled at talking. And he could just keep you hooked and talking about anything. And he could turn himself, he could make himself sound like anyone. And he, through the like handful of times he talked to him, he never questioned that he wasn't from the Kansai area. Like, I guess he said one time he misread one of the characters to a city in Kyoto, which he said he was from. Mm. Other than that, he just didn't. He thought he just made a mistake. Mm. And yeah, he still thinks, like, he was so skilled at speaking. So he wonders if he was able to use those powers for good instead of evil. He may have actually become somebody. Yeah. But instead he used it for murder. Instead he used it for murder. So it's just, this is a crazy, crazy story. I know we said it wasn't a ghost story, but I just definitely feel like he's protected by something. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't know if it's Buddha or something. Yeah, the monk for sure (laughs) is protected. I don't know, like karma maybe? Who knows? (laughs) Yeah, it's, it's just... The chances are so slim, too. And he. Five, five, six cans of coffee? Four to five, but that's still the chances are. So if there were five canned coffees, four of them were poisoned. Yeah. With only one of them being a regular coffee. You're surviving. Like only one in five chances. Yeah. Yeah. So it's very, very slim. And he somehow survived it three times, which is so crazy. And this case, it's like a real case. It's a real case. And they actually ended up making a movie of this called Coldfish. Mm -hmm. In the the movie, it's a aquarium, not aquarium, but um, a fish store Mm -hmm. instead of a dog kennel. But the case itself is exactly the same. And it's kind of chilling to think that because that movie was so crazy. Mm -hmm. 
And a little background for the actual case. So this Saitama dog breeder serial murders was around 1993 was when it's like 1993 to 1995 because 1995 is when he got arrested. arrested. Yeah. But it was a husband and wife, uh, husband Sekine Gen and wife Hiroko Kazama, along with one of their kennel workers, killed four people. Or at least they say... They admitted to four. (laughs) Admitted to four. He is known to have bragged to his friends that he had killed more than 30. Oh, God. But the thing is, this is all... He only got caught from, like, circumstantial evidence. Mm. Because there was no bodies. Because he was so good at just making bodies disappear. Mm. And... He was a super skilled breeder. That's another thing. He was super skilled and pretty well known in the husky and like the Malamute world because he was the one that made those breeds popular in Japan. Oh man, those dogs are so cute. So cute. And this man was so not cute on what he did. <laughs> but yeah, he he was doing really well during the bubble era in Japan. But when the bubble burst, he reached too far and he couldn't afford like just the way of living that he was going with these dogs Mm. and he was i don't know if he was doing this before he went under but he was just scamming all of his customers so it's like constantly like on the run Mm. and like his most popular way of scamming would be that he would sell um his dogs to people for a ridiculously high price like ten thousand dollars a hundred thousand dollars he would sell these dogs being like they'll be worth it later Mm -hmm. and also if your dogs happen to have puppies like i'll buy the puppies back for like a really high price Mm -hmm. so he'll push these onto people like telling them it's an investment Mm -hmm. and then he when the puppies come he'll be like "Mm, like the fur is not that good or like Mm -hmm. he'll like give whatever excuse to like just lower the price Yeah, yeah undersell it so he, one of the people he killed was definitely one of the customers that got scammed by him. Mm-hmm. And he asked for his money back and he was like, oh, I'll pay you. And he went and he poisons them. Like his thing is that he would use, um, you know, what you use to put dog dogs down. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So he would get that and turn it into like a pill form. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how you can bring it to this. He was really good at talking, but he would tell them that it was some sort of vitamin that's Mm. good for you and they would always take it for some reason don't take strange pills from strangers so he gave this former customer of his he's like oh this is a vitamin take it poison he's dead and then he threatens his worker and he takes the body to the worker's house Mm. and uses that worker's bathtub to yeah it's this part's a little gruesome but he like takes apart flesh and bone and then cuts up the flesh really small, just throws it down the river and then takes the bones and the possessions and put it over a fire to turn it into ash. And then they take the ash and they just scatter it all over the mountain and literally no body will ever be found. Dang. So this is how they couldn't get him. They knew he was suspicious, but they couldn't get him. And he got caught for these murders in the 90s, but actually nine years prior in the 80s too. They said about four people disappeared around him. So he probably had something to do with that too. But they'll never know for sure because there's no body at all. No evidence. He's just so good at 
just getting rid of evidence. Yeah. And he also said stuff. I mean, there was a lot of things he said that are just so chilling, but he was so arrogant too. He would you would say this thing where if there was a murder Olympics, he'd surely get gold medal. <laughs> So nasty. So he's nasty. He's also like bragging to his friends. Yeah, like, about killing more caught, than so. 30 people. So he'd call the act of cutting up the flesh and turning the bones into ash and just scattering it everywhere. He called it turning the body invisible. Mm. And that's just so like that was one of his rules. He's like, you have to turn the body invisible, like nothing left on this earth. I mean, I guess that's a trait of a good murderer. but <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, so he was skilled at something, but it's not good. And he ended up getting caught. Like, the police had been watching him but in like, following him, but somehow could not gather any evidence on him. But finally, they, like, moved forward because um, some journalists in the media were catching on, noticing that a lot of people were disappearing around mm-hmm. him. And they kind of put pressure on the police to move forward with it. And I think the police decided to go after the worker, the weak link. Mm-hmm. And the weak link told the cops everything. And that's how they got these two. Mm-hmm. If it wasn't for that worker, they might have just never been arrested. Yeah. So in the end, Sekine and his wife were given the death sentence. And the worker got three years in prison for being an accomplice, which... I don't know. That he seems not that long. that long, so... Yeah, like, at any point, he could have just gone to the police. He said he was being threatened with his, like, family's life, but I I don't know. Mm-hmm. Three years isn't long enough. Mm-hmm. I mean, he had a pretty big role in helping them yeah. get rid of the bodies. Yeah. And to this day, his wife claims that she had nothing to do with the murders and was being threatened. She was forced into doing this and stuff like that. So she's still fighting it, but it's not going through. No one believes her. Yeah, because, I mean, yeah, he could be threatening you, but police have witness protection and Mm -hmm. stuff. Like, if you went to the cops, you could have made a deal or something. And uh, Sakine himself, before his death sentence went through in i think 2017 he just died from like illness in prison so he easy way out (laughs) but yeah this is just a crazy case and i think a lot of the details of the case are known because that that worker the accomplice Mm -hmm. wrote a book oh so he profited on it yeah he wrote a really really gruesome book but that is a lot of people just felt sick reading it, but it does, like, you can see a lot of the details behind the scenes of this case if you read that, but I don't know. He needed to go to jail for longer than three years. Yeah, so. And I think the title of the book was, like, Accomplice or something like that. Like, so stupid. Way to own it. Yeah, but I guess thanks to the book, like, the they were able to make that movie Cold Fish. The director was um, a really well-known, he's a good director, Shion Sono, and it's haunting. Haunting to think that those characters in that movie, like crazy, crazy characters are like real, real people. Yeah. Not so far off what actually happened. Yeah. Oh man, it's crazy that the monk, like that that little moment in his training is... It's, he's so lucky he didn't accept that part-time 
job. <laughs> when it sounds too good to be true, it is usually too good to be true. Yeah, and just don't take drinks from strangers, man. Mm-hmm. Well, don't take it's pills from weirdos and don't take drinks from strangers. To be fair, I feel like I would have taken that coffee the first time, but I would be like kind of suspicious too. Yeah. Maybe if I was smart enough, I could be like, oh, sorry, I'm not thirsty. You're like, yeah, you can use the excuse that it's like, oh, I can't have caffeine after noon time or else I can't sleep. Like we have a couple friends that can't stand having coffee after a certain point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely some sort of excuse. But yeah, I feel like I feel like the Japanese in me would take it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. And Japanese people can't say no. <laughs> or I'm not all, but definitely I have that issue. Well, you just don't, you feel bad. You don't want to like be rude to them because I guess they're you could like always take it and be like, oh, thank you, and then like take it home. But then you drink it at home, so I guess you just die somewhere else. <laughs> yeah. So and that part time job too, just. Man, if I was in high school, I would have taken that part time job. <laughs> but My yeah, are so cute. <laughs> they are very cute. So this was a story from Monk Miki Dion. Um, This isn't one of his supernatural ones, but it's definitely one of my favorites out of the scary people ones he has. Yeah. I'll be presenting many, many more of his because his stories are so good. His stories are really good. Really, really good. And so. they're like, they're a range. Like he has supernatural stories, scary people stories. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they always really stay with you. It stays with you. And he has his own uh, personal YouTube channel. So if you're a Japanese speaker, um, definitely go check it out. It should be under his name, Miki Dion. So it should be easy to find. So that's it for Kaidan this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed the stories. And I think I mentioned it in a story earlier, but we set up an Instagram. So we'll be posting up just extra information about yeah. so all of our show notes and some creepy photos that creepy relate photos to the yes stories yeah we'll all be up there soon so <laughs> if you want to find out more about some of the stuff we talked about uh we'll try to post some cool stuff up and also if you're a japanese speaker i'll be putting together a spreadsheet of all of the youtube channels i watch and listen to so you can go ahead and go listen to the original storytellers and yeah till next monday then yeah next monday and uh sorry about some plane noises train noises dog noises that you may hear (laughs) yeah um we happen to be near all of them so that might leak in Mm -hmm. probably in this episode it leaked in a little it leaked in a little in this episode hopefully we can figure out a time that you won't see those things or hear those things but (laughs) see But yes, thank you for listening and till next Monday. Yeah. Bye. Bye.